Thank you for being here today. I'm not, it's not lost to me that you had to leave something to come here and uh, to be in this, in this session with us today. And um, we're just going to ask the Lord to minister uh, to us. And I want to be open and available for the Lord to, to speak. Amen. And no matter how long we've been doing something, there's always room for improvement. And I want to always be eminently aware of that. Our goal at Hatchman Apostolic Church is not to just raise leaders, but we want to raise leaders that last. And our jobs and roles and responsibilities, all of that changes uh, down through the years. What you may have done in times past is not what you're doing today, and what you're doing today may not be what you're doing tomorrow. But uh, we're thankful that the Lord has put in your heart to lead in whatever capacity uh, that you serve. And so on behalf of Sister Boyd and I and our entire church family, thank you for what you do. I realize as with any, um, certain, certainly with any church organization, there are, there are functions that are very out front and uh, there is no guessing as to what uh, that role or responsibility may be. And sometimes that's even uh, evident in just any service that we have, singers, musicians, and leaders in various aspects of our church services. And then there are other leaders here today that you serve in a capacity that um, is not seen, Those that hidden hands ministry, that uh, maybe you're here at the church working, doing something when no one else is even present. Unless somebody drives by and sees your vehicle parked here, they wouldn't even know you were doing anything at all. And so wherever you find yourself, whatever side, end of the spectrum or somewhere in the middle, I just say thank you from the depths of my heart because we could not do what we do without you. And uh, so we thank you so very, very much. We Anybody can get on board and get excited. I like what one man said. He said some people are like popcorn. They get hot, they turn white, they settle down, and then they grow cold. And... Uh, we're not, we're not wanting to develop that kind of leadership, somebody that gets excited out of the gate, because as you know, no matter how exciting the journey begins, somewhere along the line, it can be, it can be touched with monotony and just routine. And uh, it's during those times that we need the Spirit of the Lord to really press something into our heart. Brother and Sister Varnum have taken time out of their very busy schedule, and uh, we don't take that for granted and we have asked an awful lot of them for the next two days. And uh, for some strange reason, we called them at the right time and they agreed to do all this. <laughs> I, I don't, don't confirm this, but I'm just, I'm just thinking somewhere along the way after the commitment and before this day, they were thinking, what were we thinking when we said, yes, we'll wear this hat a little while, this hat a little while, this hat a little while. But they're going to be speaking today preaching tomorrow, and then after our service, speaking to our manna team and their wives. And so we're thankful that they were willing to give that much of themselves. And so if you need anything from them, please get it today and tomorrow. And uh, I imagine they'll be off the grid Monday, and that will, be, that will be rightly deserved. I wonder if you would make my friend welcome to this pulpit today, Brother James Varnum. I want to say thank you to Brother Boyd for the welcome to the pulpit and thank all of you to the welcome to the podium today and to welcome this session. Um, in true form for Brother and Sister Boyd, 
they began talking to us about this several months ago. And uh, I, um, I considered that maybe he'd changed his mind. <laughs> he, got to, he got to thinking, what was I thinking? <laughs> because really, my question I've been asking myself since I've dri- driven up on this property and went in that room is, what am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I here? The reason I ask that question is because you already have in Brother and Sister Boyd, uh, two of the absolute finest leaders that there are in the world. Let's thank God for them. Amen. Amen. And if anybody ever exemplifies the true nature of a leader, it's Brother and Sister Boyd. And if I say pastor or Brother Boyd, that always includes Sister Boyd. But... um, Matter of fact, on the paper that you can turn over if you haven't already, uh, the one with the, I, I, I put, I just kind of used a silhouette of a graphic here in the middle to kind of use an illustration. But I told my wife, I said, don't you think I should put a lady on there somewhere? So I put a lady's head on there and I put some children on there. But, <laughs> because I, but I think any, any form of human being, uh, represents all mankind. And in this case, all of the church, whether it be male or female. We know that um, some of the greatest leaders in the world actually are women. And uh, a lot of men who are outstanding leaders would not be the leader they are if it wasn't for the lady backing them up. And I thank God for the men and the women today. Now, my wife and I... uh, have done several things like this across the country, and um, and this this particular structure of lesson is brand new. First time I'm trying it out on you right now. But my, the way my wife and I work is, if she otherwise, if she just pipes up and says something in the middle of what I'm saying, that's how we operate at home. <laughs> And when we're in a setting like this. Uh, matter of fact, um, I've told my children and told many people about my family and my children. I've told my children, if you, if it was not for your mother, you need to thank God for her. Because if it wasn't for her, you would not have had near as much fun growing up. <laughs> she has the personality and the characteristics that make for a lot of fun. And I needed that in my life, and God knows it. Yesterday, we we stopped by a certain uh, furniture store. Actually, we're having to take uh, replace a couple, several items, and um, in the way of furniture and decorative type stuff. And and we were sitting there, sitting there discussing it with the salesperson. And um, after we. Went back and forth a few times, and the whole discussion went on. I said, now you can probably, told the lady that was working with us, I said, you can probably tell God has perfectly balanced the two of us. I said, I am the practical guy. <laughs> I'm just practical and right to the point. My wife is the creative mind. <laughs> I'm the practical mind, and between the two of us, we've been able to make it so far. <laughs> And uh, so it, we we will bounce off of each other in the sense of uh, thoughts, and so if and uh, I will of course um, 
asked her at times if she has something to say. And so I, so just to let you know, that's not rude. That's how we operate. Um, the people in this room uh, represent very fine leadership. As you would expect, this church, because of the leadership of many years, going way back to the elder, the very the uh, late brother and sister Tumman, and uh, all the leadership through the years, and now the last so many years, a long many years, brother and sister Boyd, that's why you are here now, is because of leadership. And leaderships, leaders have a way of begatting leaders. And that is some of the things we'll be talking about at some point before this day's over. Um, I call this the four dynamics of the apostolic leader. Uh, Dynamics in in the area of physics is uh, the branch of mechanics that deals with motion and the way in which forces produce motion. And the Lord knows if we're going to be a leader, there's got to be some motion. (laughs) <laughs> and there's got to be some kind of force or power or driving force behind producing motion uh, around us. Otherwise, we're not just flailing in the air. <clears throat> we, as a joke, we bought a, a a shirt, a pullover shirt for Christian Richardson, our 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 um, orchestra director, and uh, he worked very hard to help build an orchestra in our church, and we. Um, Wrote, got him a shirt that said on the back of it, it says, just uh, swing your arms wildly in the air until the music stops. <laughs> you get an idea. I had to think about that one a little bit when I first saw it. Uh, like, who's leading who here? I remember years ago uh, when I was youth president, which was years ago. Brother Paul Welch was in his prime in pastoring and leading in the district, and he's still an outstanding leader and man of God. But Brother Paul Welch from Pensacola uh, was in a something that I was in some session I was doing, and I forgot the schedule or forgot something that was supposed to be done. And he says, and, I, and afterwards I was talking to him, and he said, that's all right. He said, you know, he says, like our choir in Pensacola. He said, I have people come in to teach them. I don't know if you, some of you all, I'm sure, know this, but he used to direct his own choir when he first was, was pastor for many years. But he'd have people like, you know, outstanding leaders and apostolic professionals come in and teach songs, and then he would be there, and then he would direct them in the regular services after the one who taught them was gone. And so he said, I know how it is. He said, our choir tells me all the time, don't worry, Brother Paul. Said, we know what to do. You just stand up and look good. <laughs> well, that's good training, though, isn't it? And sometimes that's the way it really is. It, it seems that we're just uh, flailing our arms. And of course, Paul did kind of give us a warning about that. He said, I'm not as one that beateth the air. In his case, he was seemed to, uh, history, historians seem to think he was talking about shadow boxing and just hitting the punching bag and not really an opponent. But that does prepare us. So let's keep swinging. And then in in the dynamics, in the definition of dynamics, in the area of relationships is the power between the people. The dynamics of working one with one person to another or making things happen in the way of physics. 
so dynamics is the word I just chose for this lesson today, the four dynamics. Now, the reason God and the pastor is under the feet certainly is not because God or the pastor is to be walked on. But we do know that um, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And, of course, the pastor is that that rock and that solid uh, person and ministry and uh, to a hand of God uh, to our life that we are founded upon and that we uh, depend upon. So we're going to start at the bottom uh, and work our way through this. And if you, I just left those places blank so you could fill in, and, and uh, I'll just go through these. And as we go through them, we will um, see how the Lord leads us. Thank God for this good prayer we've already had this morning, and I know that many of you have your own private prayer time. That's what puts the power in everything we do. And uh, our relationship with God, the dynamics between the leader and God, the dynamics between <clears throat> the apostolic leader and God is, first of all, of course, prayer. And the Bible tells us, first of all, that prayer and supplication be made, uh, and this is before all things, and at least in some way under our breath, even as I stand here now, my heart is saying, God help me to be a blessing. And then afterward, uh, I have preached many, many messages, and afterwards say, God help me. <laughs> help the people. But um, in all sincerity, along the lines of prayer, prayer is truly before, during, all through and after everything. After we have, after we have served the Lord, after our, the dynamic between a lead apostolic leader and their God is first of all prayer. Lord help me, prepare me and use me to be a blessing. Lord help me now to carry out what you've given me. And then afterward, Lord, let the seed sown bring forth much fruit. Let it actually produce good things in our life. Our dynamics between uh, the dynamics between us and God is, is includes fasting. There you simply uh, have to deny yourself. Even if we have a medical situation where we cannot fast in, in, in the, length, the lengths of time that maybe we used to or others do, or if we have to do a different type of fast, but that self-sacrificing commitment to God. It, it brings us under the hand of God, and it certainly brings the hand of God upon us. And then thirdly, our dynamics with God is worship and praise. I will stop here for a moment. Because we have, I think that most people have, many people have seen the situation where a person uh, will be in a worship service or a church service or a, even a prayer service and sit like a wooden Indian. <laughs> uh, you know, just I say that because in years ago they used to have them carved out wood Indians in front of a lot of stores. They'll sit there motionless until it's their turn. They didn't want everybody to get with it. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not just a matter of get with it in this particular session or service or worship or whatever. But if the, if the dynamic between us and God is that uh, God dwells in the midst of praise. God, God honors us when we honor and worship Him. 
So that's the dynamics between us and God, and that also that is the, one of the dynamics that can reach and absolutely affect all of these four dynamics. It's, I'll go ahead and throw it in and tell you now, it, it fits into all of these. There's something about going ahead and worshiping, and I know that you can worship in other ways besides praise, and uh, but praise and worship in our setting of apostolic church services and leadership go together. And if we uh, find ourselves drifting off and not thinking, first of all, we do we don't stay up spiritually. Just uh, even though we're not pastoring now, Jason's been pastoring five years, but of course you, 36 years I was the pastor in Bellevue, and it's been 41 since I started that pastoring. And um, so you, you can't just, our, the way we work anyway as a team, I can't just put it out of my mind as to the needs of the people. But I don't have the day-to-day burdens that I did, and I appreciate the liberty it's given me, and Jason's doing a good job. But I, But my wife and I were talking uh, coming up here about people like missing church services. Obviously, if we miss the church service, we're not going to be there to worship, pray, or praise, or nothing, <laughs> and to study the Bible with the rest of the church. Although we have our private, but as a leader, we have to be visible. And by all means, scribble anywhere on this paper you want to, if a point that you want to make sure you remember. But we really, we do have to be visible. Even Jesus when he prayed what we call the Lord's Prayer, he said, Father, I'm not praying this for me. I'm praying this so my disciples will see me and hear me. <laughs> Jesus didn't have to uh, pray that kind of a prayer, but he did it for our sakes. There's a lot of things Jesus did that he actually did for the sake of others. Now, the question kind of fly, that question, that incident makes a question which flies in the face of something else Jesus said. He said, when you pray, pray in private. Enter your closet. When you shut the door, pray uh, secretly that your heavenly Father will reward you openly. And same thing with other things like fasting and so forth. But when it comes to a leader, Jesus himself showed us and made a very clear example that he prayed specifically for other people to hear him. You need that private prayer. You can't do without it. It cannot be only public prayer for other people to hear and see because that's what the, the Pharisees were doing. The only prayer they did was when some when they, someone was watching. Oh, oh, people are watching. I better, you know. But to actually absorb, be absorbed by God and absorb, our, absorb ourselves into God is a matter of our, uh, our own focus and our, our dynamic between us and God. A leader must have that dynamic between ourselves and God. And to praise and worship does several things. Number one, it helps us stay alive and stay strong and stay refreshed in God. Because what we're doing when the bottom line, when it gets to the bottom line, is not really for our pastor. The bottom line is not really just for this local church. The bottom line is what we're doing is for God, His holy kingdom. Amen. And uh, my wife said souls over here, and that is so true. But I didn't die for people's souls. And it, souls, eternity and souls and, 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 and salvation was not my idea. So even though it is for souls, even that, the bottom line of that is comes from God and because of God and for His sake. And so we, we praise and worship for our, our dynamic between us and God. We praise and worship 
Because indeed it does, as Jesus did, shows others how to praise and worship. And as a leader, we cannot, uh, it's, it's very important that we do not just do things like as the Pharisees did, just for a show. Just so that we'll look good in front of others. But that we truly focus with God and when we contact with God and we really are worshiping in spirit and in truth, then there's something powerful that happens in us and it flows out of us. It radiates out of us and and affects other people around us. The dynamics between us and God is in praise and worship. I could go a long time on that, but I'm going to move. Of course, the dynamics between us and God is our studying of the Bible, Bible study. Bible study is absolutely important uh, between us and God. We we can get uh, often uh, left field or right field, I guess you could say. Praise and worship without the Word of God, uh, you can really come up with some interesting things. Any of you that's been around a while have seen some interesting things. And if you've been to other churches around, you've seen some interesting things happen. And um, even in our church, we've seen some interesting thing happen with some folks that don't know what the Bible has to say about a lot of things. And um, and our, our dynamics between us and God is God himself said it, be ye holy, even as I am holy. So the next dynamic is be ye holy. Um, if, if we're going to walk before the Lord, it is important that we walk before him in holiness. Now, it, there again, this be holy is not only for the sake of our dynamic between us and God. They all work together, as we know. Hand-eye coordination, hand-feet coordination is important. There's so much, there's so much that comes from the hand to the feet and the whole body. Uh, been in a new strange room last night. When I say strange, I only in the sense of fresh and new. <laughs> Nothing strange happened, but uh, there's no there's no ghosts or anything around here. But um, I thought, wow, this is cool, though. You know, we we come here, and he, I knew this was going to be a nice room, but nobody told me you get the whole like thunder effects and the rain sound. <laughs> we got it all last night. It was awesome. <laughs> and uh, how do they do that? It's awesome. You look out the window and the rain, that's real. You know, it just seems so real. You're not good at this to sleep in the rain. Uh, you know, when it's raining, excuse me. But be ye holy, it is important because, uh, and how that it affects all things, the whole body. So last night in this room, being a, a different strange room to me, I was walking around from the edge of the bed going toward the sink in the, in the middle of the night and, and that, that footboard got me right there in the middle of my thigh. I mean, I went through the floor like somebody put them with big Charlie horses in your leg or something, big frog in your leg. Oh, I went to the floor. And uh, so if I'm limping around today, you'll understand why. <laughs> but the point is, is that really uh, the what we do with our feet affects <laughs> the rest of our body. What we do with our hands affects the rest of our body. We, we do have to have a coordination from head to toe. So that's why I'm saying that be, be ye holy affects our dynamic between us and God, but it affects the dynamics between us and our pastor. It affects the dynamics between us and the other church people around us. It affects, affects the dynamics between us and the world. Be ye holy. If, if the pastor teaches and preaches and the pastor and his wife exemplify a certain standard of holiness, 
we should be alert and we should be keen and we should follow that example very closely. Praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I, I know that um, it seems uh, there's a lot of things about holiness that we don't understand, a lot of things about prayers, a lot of things about all these that we don't understand, but we do, do understand enough that we can practice it and we can live it and we can receive it. Well, we are holy because He's holy, but it does, does say, Be ye holy, even as I am holy. Uh, no, uh, all standards is not necessarily holiness, but holiness does have standards. And holiness itself is a standard. And so, um, but whether it be a straight out of the Bible, heaven or hell issue uh, that the pastor teaches or exemplifies or urges, if he, if, he, if he sets a higher standard for a leader than he does a visitor, well, that, that makes sense. If he sets a higher standard for a leader than he does even a, a church member that sits on the pew that doesn't lead others and influence others so much, that makes sense. Uh, anyone who's in business or anyone who's even in, in schooling, training, almost any vocation, any area of life, business, financial, spiritual, and any other way you could think of, even among sports and all of it, there is a, there are certain standards for different levels that you move to. And I think that that has to do between us and God, but also us and others. And then the lastly, I just said research. The last point I wanted to make on there myself was that we do research in all areas that we can to know all we can about God. You want to say anything, sweetheart? Let's look at the other uh, part here that under pastor, the dynamics between us and our pastor. Now, your pastor and his wife, I don't know of anybody, and I'm serious as I can be before God in heaven, and I believe you all have seen this and know this. Their leadership style is as much of serving as I've ever seen any pastor and his wife. They are true servants. It's obvious they're true servants here at this church, this local. You're, as your pastor, they are servants in their community. They are servants in the business world around them. They are servants even among the broad spectrum of the kingdom of God. And uh, in the Florida district, they're very, very much uh, people that are servants. So when I when I when we when we talk about some of these dynamics between the the apostolic leader and their pastor, keep that in mind that um, I believe anything that uh, those of in authority in the Florida district or in the United Pentecostal Church International um, asked or, or or stood for. And ask their pastors that are licensed to stand for, I believe Brother and, Sister, uh, Brother and Sister Boyd would stand for them and submit themselves fully. That's the kind of people they are. I'm not just saying that to say it. I've observed it. And uh, so many things that happen is, are because of their servant attitude. So the dynamics between every apostolic leader in this room is between them and their pastor. Number one is submission. There, there simply, there are no scriptures that tell the pastor to force people to do anything. 
It's really up to us to submit. Even, by the way, wives and husbands, it never tells the husband, make your wife submit. It is a complete choice of the wife, and it's a good choice. It's a biblical choice. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. That's a different dynamic, of course. But the dynamic between the apostolic leader in the church and the pastor, first of all, it must be submission. And if that word rubs us wrong, uh, we need to just keep praying. Because submission is not a word we like. Typically in the flesh, we don't like the word submission. It sounds like, what is this, a dictatorship? I mean, what is this? And that's why I started out when I began to speak about the dynamics between the apostolic leader and the pastor, is that they themselves have already exemplified that they are submitted, that they're honest and loyal, and all the things that have to do with the dynamics between the leadership of this church and your pastor. Submission. Uh the Bible says that you can you can you can disagree with your pastor. It says it right in the Bible. It says, "Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father." So it's not that you cannot disagree and even vocalize your disagreement as long as it's done with the high respect and the honor that when the Bible is written, children would have for their father. Now, with me and my father growing up, I was raised in the country. I was raised by, I was the youngest of seven children. My wife is the uh, youngest of 14 children. So our parents and her parents were older than mine, but my parents were, I was the youngest. So I got a lot of the old school, old school preaching, old school parenting. And I have to say, I thank God for the old school way. God give us our America back. And uh, give us our families back. Give us the God, God-ordained family back in the minds of America. But for the pastor and, and, and submission, I, I can say that um, I submitted to my father for several reasons. At first, it was simply because he said it, and I found out that if I didn't do it, it was not a very good choice for me. And But then as, as I grew older, I began to realize the good of it and the benefits of, of, of that. Because the pastor definitely cannot make people submit. And the Bible doesn't say he has to. But it, it teaches him to feed the flock of God. And it then says, take the oversight thereof. Right. And the oversight is just what you would think it might mean. Over and sight. It means that you watch over it and you, and you, you um, lead and have authority over. Submission. Uh, dynamics to the, toward the pastor. Loyalty. Loyalty. It, it is... I realize that a pastor does not own the church members or the leave in the leadership. They don't own them. We're the... If, if we could be likened to something, I think, in the Bible, it would be the friend of the bridegroom, not the bridegroom himself. But the friend of the bridegroom was one, of course, that in, according to the best I can find in history, is the one that uh, actually communicates between the bride and groom until they are married, until they come together as husband and wife. And one of the major uh, jobs is to watch after the bride and really not just to watch after her for her safety, but to watch, watch after her to make sure she stays a virgin and she stays right until they get married 
and, and make sure her reputation is good, make sure she conducts herself properly, and make sure she is fully prepared for marriage when she gets married. And that is the way it is with a pastor. But the pa- that is not the pastor's bride. The church is not the pastor's bride. But I tell you, it, it, the, the friend, the bridegroom, the pastor, it is so... That relationship between the pastor and Christ, the bridegroom, is so close that it sure gets to feeling like it sometimes. I mean, I, I, it's, when, I, when, I, when my son became pastor of the church where I pastored 36 years... I mean, it was like, almost like giving my wife away. It's like, this is weird. But I had, but I knew, and I had to keep reminding myself, this is not your church. You didn't start it, and you won't finish it. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But, uh, loyalty, however, is most important dynamic between a leader and their pastor. When I say loyalty, I mean, even though a person, it would not be they would not necessarily be lost and go to hell if they said, I don't like this church. I'm going somewhere else. Or I have some things I disagree with. I'm going to express my disagreement to others. Um, loyalty is when you, when you could possibly um, go another direction, but you choose to stand and for the leadership, for the pastor, for the local church, for your own body of Christ, of the local assembly that God has made you a part of. And I thank God for the church, but we need loyalty toward the pastor. Um, years and years ago, my, uh, my wife, I might have let her just tell this. My wife pulled a shenanigan and, and got us our first Lincoln Lincoln to drive. And as I said earlier, I'm the practical person. And in 1976, the Mark IV, which was a 1974, Mark IV Lincoln, was only two years old in 1976. And we, and I, we were both were raised... Dirt poor. And, and I had never in my entire life ever known of a, put it this way, my father, our family had never had anything close to a new car. And usually it was, it was a car that we had to keep having it tinkered with and keep it going. My dad and her, she was raised the same way. My dad carried more than one spare in the trunk. Her dad sometimes would have a whole, a whole trunk load of tires. But, well, I wanted to tell the story about the Lincoln. But I want to say this is why I wanted to tell the story, is that, well, you tell the loyalty of Brother Carter while you tell that story. Okay. And whatever else you want to say, of course. Oh, good. <laughs> Anything we don't finish before lunch, we'll finish after. Don't worry. Oh, Well, let let me just say, when I come to this place every time, and through the years I've been here a few times, but every time I come here, I am in total shock and awe at this place. And I'm like, you know, this shows you what can be done when you've got some faithful people. And uh, let me just say real quick, and I'll go right to the Lincoln story. Um, 
last night I couldn't help but the evangelist sign on that door going in, you know, and it's been 41 years since I evangelized. But trust me, people, where we stayed, of course, I traveled with a lady preacher, and where we stayed in evangelist quarters back then uh, was not even close. I mean, there was no way to even imagine an evangelist quarters like that one. And, uh, and, uh, and of course, you know, you guys are out in the country, really. I mean, I know there's people in these woods, but you don't see them. You can't find them. But somehow when the church doors open, here they come. Uh, I've got to tell you this. One of the places we went to was outside of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And it was like 15 miles from Hattiesburg. And just the further we went, the more isolated. And the truth of it is, when we got to the church, I hadn't seen a house in the last 15 minutes. Not one home. And we come into this church, and it's in this little cove, and it's got a parking lot. And and anyway, Janice and I, we were staying in. It actually had a kitchen uh, connected to it. But the bedroom was, you know, one of the old iron beds, and it was a little tiny uh, double bed. And neither one of us were little people, you know. She was kind of healthy, and I've always been healthy. So here, you know, and they always put us in these beds that, Back then, nobody thought you needed new mattresses for a lifetime. And no telling how many families had slept on that bed. And we had to learn creative ways, you know, to not both of us end up in the middle of that bed trying to sleep. But at that little place, it was amazing. We were there for about three, maybe four weeks in revival. And folks, that was every night, people. (laughs) Forget these rest nights or these half nights or whatever they're doing now. And uh, (laughs) barely, I mean, if you're there past an hour and 15 minutes, they think that we've, you know, brought abuse upon the congregation. It's pitiful. But anyway... Um, anyway, during that time, uh, we found out what real rats were like. I mean, I'd seen rats my whole life, you know, but, uh, because we'd been in some strange, um, evangelist quarters and a lot of them don't even, you know, it was an absolute Sunday school room. So like, you know, Sunday morning, we had to get up really early and get the bed propped up. And, you know, get the little chairs. We'd, we'd set up the Sunday school classroom for them. You know, that's just how it was back then. And But through the, you know, the three weeks we had heard, and, and we would go to saints' homes that were in the middle of these little forests and take showers, and we would eat in different saints' homes. And uh, it was just, you know, that's how it was. And um, there was no restaurants and McDonald's and nothing like that anywhere close. And so here we are in this this uh, evangelist quarters, and just a night or two before, those rats were so loud in there. It, it was it was horrible. It was, and you know, girls were girls. Neither one of us wanted to take them on, you know. And um, but we had the last night of revival, and we'd been scared a couple of times there because it was really dark. You know, there was no street lights because this is in the middle of the woods. And so a uh, few nights we'd been scared, you know. But that next day, there was these helicopters just going around and round and round. Well, when, you know, we didn't get to see anybody until we went to go eat lunch and get a shower. So um, 
I, we said, hey, what's been going on with all the helicopters? And they said, oh, well, you know, we've got this prison over here and there's like four escaped convicts. <laughs> and uh, three of them are in there for murder. And four of them have escaped. And I'm just like, are, are we kidding? Is this a joke? And oh, and right up into church night, these these helicopters, they were, uh, you know, it started getting dark and they were using spotlights. And, you know, every once in a while flying over the church and everything. So I was telling the pastor and I was like, well, you know, this last night of service, really, we had a great move of God. People got the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of the Lord fell. We were happy to be there. But we were still girls and we were still scared. And I was like, you know, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't stay here tonight. I was hoping the pastor would say, you can come home with me. You know, but oh no, they didn't even think about that back then. Oh, oh, you be fine. Yeah, they'll round them up. They got the dogs out. And so we're all... And this is the truth. Now, whether you want to believe this or not, but we went to bed so scared that night. And, you know, I mean, I checked all the doors two or three times and we were laying there and it was one o'clock in the morning and my eyes were just wide open and the rats started. And as soon as, uh, and they were real loud that night because they were after this loaf of bread trying to tear into it. And there was several of them. And so, I mean, right at first, of course, I thought it was the murderers. I just, oh, Janice, they're here. They're here. And uh, she was like, no, no, I, I think it's the rats. And I said, no, they're too loud. This can't be rats. And anyway, so we, we got up and we actually, we had never done that since or before, but we got some hangers because we could barely sleep anyway. We were scared. And so we got some hangers and we thought if we start throwing it, maybe they'll leave and get out of here. And I, I don't know exactly what happened, but she threw two or three. I, I was throwing them through the door, you know, trying to hit the table, trying to knock them off. And we did have a door we could close, but you know rats, they can get into, you know, this big, you know. And so anyway, here I am and I hear a hanger hit our door after we closed it and we threw them and then we close it so i don't know if i I said they were throwing the hangers back at us okay but anyway how great to come to this great evangelistic quarter i said all that just to say how wonderful it was to be here in fact i'm thinking about taking our next vacation here if brother and sister boy don't mind All right, the Lincoln story. We'd been married just a few years. How many years? Two or three? And, uh, of course, we were just as poor as dirt. And our parents were that poor, too. So neither one of us could ask our parents for any money. We had a car that got a um, a block head. uh, The head, the block, it busted. Whatever that means. We couldn't drive it anymore. We still owed money on it. We were making $50 payments on that car. Um, and then we got a, another car. We went up to Pensacola and Billy Adams took us to a, uh, um, uh, auto thing, you know, and we got this other car and within three or four months time, the valves or something, I mean, it's smoking. I mean, we just couldn't drive it anymore. And we were paying a hundred dollars a month on that. And we didn't know what we were going to do. I mean, you know, our church was it was growing. The Lord had blessed us from day one, but still we didn't have very many people in that church and none of them were rich. I was like, is there any rich people in Florida? Come on, God. 
I want the rich one next. I love the poor, but just give me one rich. But anyway, we had nobody, nobody that had nothing. And so, I mean, I was just praying. I was saying, God, this, this is Bellevue. I mean, this is not San Jose that you've got transit. I mean, you can get on a bus and go anywhere, you know, in the valley. This is Bellevue. We're not teaching Bible studies. At that time, we were probably doing two or three a night uh, off church nights. You know, we were doing a people's house. We couldn't do hospital visits. We couldn't do anything. I just went to prayer and I was saying, God, I need you. You know, I was, I was serious about this car thing. We needed a car. So I just felt like the Lord told me to look in the, in the paper. So I started looking in the one ads and I read this and it was just like a light from heaven shined on this, this thing. And it said, it said, Mark four, sell or trade. Well, I have two cars to trade. <laughs> and my husband is over. He, he had went over to the church to pray while I was at the little parsonage praying. The little pitiful parsonage. I'll tell you about that some other time. But while he was over there praying, so when he came home, I said, and so I, anyway, I called this man. I just called him. I said, um, I'm calling about your ad in the paper. And uh, I've got a couple of cars to trade. And, and so he's, he said, okay. He said, I'll be out there like one or two o'clock, whatever he said. So I knew my husband was going to have a problem with this. So when he came back, I was thinking, should I tell him? Should I not tell him? I hated for that man just to walk up to the house, you know, and, and here he doesn't even know what's going on. So I said, honey, I did something while you were over the church. Um, I made a phone, I made a phone call and, uh, and I showed him the paper, the ad, and he looked, oh, his eyes started flashing. He got so upset. He said, Naomi, we cannot afford that. And he said, all we've got is two junker cars. Neither one of them will run. And so I was like, and, you know, really, I was like, ah, oh, bless his heart. You know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to take care of this one. Uh, so, and he told me, he said, I am not going to be here. I am embarrassed. He said, I'm going back to that church and you are going to meet this man by yourself. So I just said, okay, all right, I'll do that. And so he went over there and I know the Lord got a hold of him and he repented because about 10 minutes later, 10 minutes later, he came back. I mean, 10 minutes before the man drove up, he, um, he came back to the house and he said, all right, I'm going to be here with you, but I am, you're going to be the one telling him about the cars. You know, I thought we should leave the details to the end. And, uh, so anyway, and one of them, one of them, y'all, one of them was an old Cadillac with the, with the big tails, you know, and it, it, this was during that time, you know, the seventies when we had the big gas lines and, and people were out of work. We only had one person in our church that had a regular job. So the first of the month was like heaven. You know, we'd get four or five people paying tithe. And, uh, you know, because it was once a month for them, we had one woman that worked for the U.S. Post Office. Hallelujah. So um, anyway, that the one car that we were paying $50 a month for, that was a sad, sad vehicle from the very beginning. But anyway, we were we were thankful. And, uh, so here comes this man. Oh, when he drove up, let me tell you, I'd never seen such a good, I didn't know what a Mark IV was. That car, I mean, it was like it was calling my name. I seen a light shine from heaven. I heard music start going as he got out of the car. 
And when he got out of the car, this man must have only weighed 125 pounds and he must have been 6'5". He looked huge, tall. And when he got out, he hit his head and he cursed. And so I can't say what he said. (laughs) And so, but I was like, ooh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) He don't like that car. And um, so... (laughs) So he comes over. Yeah, and they were only two door, you know, too. So anyway, so he comes and he look, he, we, t- I tell him the situation, you know, I tell him, you know, we don't have money to pay the, we owe on both of these cars. Neither one of these cars will run. And that man just looked it over. He talked for just a minute or two and he said, we got a deal. He shook hands with my husband. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is, now this is what God can do. And so he went and we, we went to the bank to even see if we could get a loan. Now he's going to, he's getting ready to pay off our other loans. So we won't have that. And yeah, he, that, that man's going to pay off our, our cars. And he, he comes the next day. So we go to the bank. The bank says, there is no way. Does that car have a motor? He was giving us this car. I mean, for nothing. Not really nothing, but we had to get a loan. So they said, does it have a motor? And we said, yeah, it's got a motor. So they said, we want to see it. So we had to take it to the bank to show it to him. And when we went back to get the title and from this man to take it to our bank, his wife was in there chewing him out. I mean, you could hear him. And we were sitting out there and both of us were like, don't let her win, Lord. Don't let her win. <laughs> this is one time I don't want the woman to win. Mostly I would be praying for you, but not this time. And But anyway, he he ends up doing it. We make this deal. The next morning he comes out with two wreckers. And he pulls those pitiful cars away from our parsonage. Hallelujah. And right after we got him, and of course I was thankful and I was uh, our payments were not as much on that one car as it was for both of them. And we drove that car for two or three years and we sold it for more than what we paid for that car. Now, I told all of that stuff and the only thing you really wanted me to tell you about was um, we had an old one of the older saints in our church. Thank God for these elderly people that have just been faithful and stayed with it through the years. Old Brother Carter, Brother Carter, I mean, he called my husband his little pastor. And back then, that was an appropriate thing to say. But if he were alive today, that's what he would still call my husband. Till the day he died, he called him his little pastor. And he got up into test back then We opened it up for testimony service, you know. And it really is a lot more fun than what we have now. <laughs> really. Do you know how much not fun we have when we don't open it up? We could hear about everybody's goings on and it was just wonderful but anyway uh but anyway he got him he's he said you know you know what happened um the other day somebody in town said something about my little pastor driving a lincoln continental the pastors aren't supposed to drink uh drive lincoln continentals and he said and i just of course he's even crying he's testifying he said i told them I don't care if he's driving two Lincoln Continentals, you know. And and so he got up and he told the church how he felt about it. And, of course, I was stunned 
Because I grew up in this great saint's home. She was always so thankful about whatever the pastor had. And you know, my mother, we, we, my mother didn't drive. We didn't own a car, but we lived in San Jose, so we had public tr- transportation. But, you know, our pastor had truck and cars and a boat and, and my, my mother, it was never an issue. So really that was kind of funny for me to hear that somebody thought it was wrong for a pastor to drive a Lincoln, even though I never even knew what a Lincoln was until then. Honestly, I was just totally dumb to cars. So, um, you know, be thankful for what God gives you. And so I wrote a, I'm, I'm actually writing a book right now. It's called Bellevue, if he lets me keep it that title. And I tell about this story. And the name of that chapter is God wants me to drive a Lincoln. Our dynamics between my wife and I are good. Our dynamics between the apostolic leader and the pastor includes loyalty. And that it is loyal in our actual heart, our home, our, between our husband, husband and wife, between us and our children. That loyalty rings true. Uh, throughout our work day and uh, throughout our community. And the person that she's talking about was not a member of our church. There could have been members of our church complaining as well because I'd never uh, uh, been, as I mentioned before, just before she got up here, we'd never even driven anything close to a nice car. I didn't know we could possibly drive a nice car. And I probably had the mentality that preachers uh, should be poor, stay poor, never have anything um, because that's the only thing I'd ever been around. And, um, but loyalty was important for us. If it wasn't for the loyalty of the people in the church, there's no way that there would have been a great church built. And if it wasn't for the loyalty of the people of this church, there would be, there would simply be no way this church would be here as it is now. And this church is greatly admired. There's so much y'all, you all do. And, uh, what we're here doing is hopefully adding a little bit, but mostly reaffirming and restirring and refreshing the things that many of you already know and love. But loyalty is an absolute dynamic, a necessary dynamic between the pastor and the leader. Thirdly, honesty is important between uh, the apostolic church leader and the pastor. Uh, there can't be hidden things. There can't be these little clicks. There cannot, there cannot be these little, uh, uh, personal undercurrent agendas. Um, honesty is an absolute necessity between a church leader and their pastor. Uh, next is unity. Uh, there must be a attitude and a spirit of, a unifying spirit among a, the leaders of the church between them and their pastor. We, we had some, we've had a couple of elderly or older preachers come, and one's particularly that's elderly, it's already passed on now. Some of you may have known him or heard of him, Billy Glenn Craig. He was part of our church for many years. Uh, he, um, he was raising his grandson, which he had legally adopted, and when they moved into the Marincana area, they said, this has been uh, about 27, 28 years ago, when they moved into the Marion County, our county, they said uh, we're, there's, there were three churches there that was the apostolic that we knew of, and um, uh, Brother Bass, which is independent. Brother, back then it was Brother uh, Douglas, before Brother Williams became pastor of the UPC church there in Ocala, and then us in Bellevue. And if there were others, I just didn't know them. But 
they said, we're going to try the churches, and wherever our son, their adopted son, actually their grandson, Steve, wherever Steve receives the Holy Ghost, and he was like about 17, did not have the Holy Ghost, had never sought for the Holy Ghost, wherever God fills him with the Holy Ghost, wherever he gets stirred, gets under conviction and prays through, that's going to be our church in Marion County. And I, uh, it just, it was just God's will, whatever the purpose or reason or whatever it was, he, they came to a service, and the first service they were there, Steve received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so Brother Craig, who pastored up north in Indiana, had started a church down in the Tampa area years and years ago and turned it to another pastor. It's still going on to this day. And, um, and had built churches, but also was a builder by trade because he started churches and pastored small churches. He continued with a secular building uh, employment as well. But he came to Bellevue, but he was, he was, he was retired from physical, uh, secular work, but he was still preaching, but semi-retired from preaching even. But up north, there's this thing, there's this big, big rift and division. Uh, for communion, do you use fresh grape juice or do you use fermented wine? And there was a time years ago that was a huge dividing issue. Uh, whether it should be uh, fermented wine or should be grape juice. And everybody had their points on both sides of it, strong points. Well, he was a very, very strong, strong advocate of fermented wine, real, the real deal. And, and my dad had taught me and the ministers that we fellowship with closely that it should be fresh grape juice and unfermented. Technically, biblically, and historically, wine can be fermented or unfermented, and you still use the word wine. But, so, but even though he had his idea about that and he was strong on that, any person that came to him about that or any other issue, there were others like some end-time prophecy issues he was different on than we were and some things, and to me, non-essential, but nevertheless different enough to cause division. He absolutely would, if anybody got a hint of him being different on any issue, sometimes they just actually stumbled across it. Didn't he have, didn't know he had a little different feeling. He simply would, he would not be rude. He would just simply, uh, support me 100%. As, and he was much older than me. And he would always, um, send them to me and say, if you want, uh, instruction on that, go to the pastor. Um, and he just simply would sidestep it. He wouldn't say, I believe different, but, you know, I'm, no, he just, he made it very clearly, not very clearly loyal. Right. Not, it, nothing undercurrent, nothing kind of unsaid, but was felt. He just was straight out loyal. Right. And I can't say how much that man did for our church. Yes. He was the greatest blessing you can imagine because as young as I was when he first came there, and as elderly as he was, and, and the seasoning and the depth of him and his wife that they brought into our church. But that would have all been nothing, that would have been nothing but trouble if he would have anyway been anything other than loyal and honest and, and promote unity. Amen. And the last thing under the heading of pastor is uh, support. Uh, and when I say support, of course, I mean First of all, support whatever he stands for. Stand behind your pastor. You simply cannot be an effective leader with the with true dynamics of a good spiritual apostolic leader if we don't 
foolish stand behind our pastor. And, and, um, uh, and supporting his teaching, first of all, supporting what he stands for, supporting every, supporting his, his feelings and he and his wife, their, their, even their feelings. Um, if you were leading, or in some of you in this place, maybe, uh, entrepreneurs, you may have employees, you may, or you might be a supervisor in a company. And you know the fact is, if you're a leader in any area, you have to make you have to call the shots. You've got to make the hard decisions. You you've just simply some a leader simply has to make a decision. You can't just keep on letting it float and float and just pushing it back, pushing it back. That's not a good leader. You've got to be decisive. And a leader makes a decision, and it could be done as equally as well or as good this way as that way. It may be, as the old saying goes, six to one, half a dozen the other. But the fact is, the pastor is the pastor. And we need to, a, a good apostolic leader must have the dynamic toward their pastor that supports what they stand for. And even if it is not a straight out Bible issue, he is, it's the position. In the military, it's not the man, whether he's handsome or tall or short or, or, or you know, whatever his situation in, in the physical sense. or It's the rank he holds in the military that you salute and that you submit to and that you honor and support. And in the kingdom of God, this is certainly God's army, and uh, we must, as a leader, support our pastor. Um, let's move to the top left of your page, to the church. The dynamics between the leader and the church. <clears throat> First of all, let's just start with this. Our attitude toward the people that we call upon to help us in whatever area that we're leading, we must be respectful. Um, When it comes even to the pastor and the people, uh, in a little town like Bellevue, not quite as small as Hatch Bend, but we kind of get a little bit of a flavor. (laughs) But we are in a country rural area somewhat, and I was raised definitely in very much in the country. Not most of our people... um, or country people, even if they're from, of course, as you know, Florida is just full of people from up north, and that's wonderful. We're glad to have them. But, um, but some people say that Brother Varum is a dictator. I mean, you know, I'm talking over 41 years. Somebody, that people have said that. And when I had the opportunity, if they ever said it to me, I had the opportunity. I said, you don't understand. It's a mutual respect. They do respect me. They do, they do appreciate me. They, they, they do submit to the teaching and preaching of my position. Not, uh, not me as because I'm the most intelligent or because I'm the most educated or because I'm the, mo- I'm the most handsome or the, the biggest uh, bully around, but because they respect me. But they respect me, and one of the reasons is because I respect them. There is a mutual respect, and so it is with the leaders and those that you lead in the church and your department. Or most all these principles will work on your job. They'll work in your neighborhood. They'll work all through and through. But there must be a respectful attitude, a dynamic of respect for those that we. Otherwise, they're not just there for our disposal. They're not just there for us to say, "I'm the leader, and you're going to do what I say." And uh, the pastor told me to do this, and so I have it. You know, really, the fact is, 
the greatest uh, dynamic is not the position. The greatest dynamic is your influence, your ability to influence. Leading is not the same thing as driving or pushing or forcing. Leading is just what it, in, in what it sounds to be. So we must be respectful toward those that we ask to help us. We must be thoughtful toward those that help us as we lead in the church and in areas of our life. Thoughtful, in the sense otherwise, of um, making it as convenient and easy as possible and yet making the sacrifices necessary. But, but making it as convenient as possible. Some, one of the, my wife and I through the years have done our best and we've tried our best to teach the leaders of our church to make it as easy as possible. If, if, you, can, if you can put something you have going, if you can put it together to where people make one trip to the church to do two different things, make it convenient as possible. Uh, if you can do it the hard way and you can do it the little easier way or a, a more uh, professional way, do it the best way. Uh, make it be, be thoughtful of others. Uh, when we're the leader, I realize that, you know, we, we just basically, it's our schedule. Uh, everybody just got to work around my schedule. And to, I realize if we work a secular job, that's, that's true to a certain extent. But there's still some flexibility to be thoughtful of other people as we lead them. And, and you can spread that to many different areas and, and whatever other spinoff thoughts you have, by all means, scribble away on your paper. Uh, another dynamic between the leader and the church is teamwork. Um, as Jason and I, as Jason began to grow up, uh, my son, some of you know him. I realize not everybody does, but... Um, Jason um, has got a personality a lot like, lot like his mother. Very creative, very uh, friendly, don't meet a stranger, not afraid to talk to anybody about anything, not afraid to tell people he wants a Lincoln. Uh, whatever. But, um, but when I asked him, uh, he was about... When he was, he was about 10 or 12, he and I were riding down the road in my pickup truck, and he just started crying. Daddy, I think I'm called to preach. <laughs> and just weeping, you know. And I said, well, son, I'm sh- if you're called to preach, then God will, God will make a way, and the right time you'll know, and you'll grow into it. And I said, you just pray. And Jason has loved preaching since he was tiny. I mean, since he was big enough to even... Jump up and yell with a little, about a five or five year old voice, Amen! You know, he loved preaching, always on the front row. Now, if you went into some Bible study, like today, he'd probably be playing with G.I. Joe's down the floor. But if, um, back then, G.I. Joe's were okay. Now, I think, I don't know if they are okay anymore. You know, it's not politically correct. But, uh, and plus, G.I. Joe's has expanded a lot. But they were real all American, true G.I. Joe's. And I remember one time, Brother Billy Davis, some of y'all know him. Uh, he's a very, very close friend of mine. He was preaching for us one night just in a regular service. And Jason, we also, you know, used to boys played Cowboys and Indians too, you know, and played with little cap guns. Cap guns used to be okay. Now then you get, you know, kicked out of school for even doing like that. But <laughs> some schools, as you read in the news. But uh, Brother Davis was preaching one night. And he came down, and Jason was playing with his G.I. Joe. He said, boy, 
and of course, he was teaching. You know, Brother Davis can really, you know, it's great stuff for us adults. You know, one God, apostolic doctrine, you know, oneness of the Godhead, all that stuff. We were just eating it up. He can spit it out like that, as many of us know. And, and Jason was that. So he was teaching. So Jason was down playing with his little car or something. And, and Brother Davis said, boy, you ought to be paying attention. And, and he just kind of yelled out. I don't know if he was even serious or not, but he yeah. definitely got everybody's attention. <laughs> and when he went by, Jason got his little, his little toy gun and went, his mouth went, pow. <laughs> I didn't see it then. His mother saw it. I, I didn't. She told me later. But her personality is she was thinking good enough for Brother Davis. <laughs> because he is a very good friend, so we don't mind picking on him. But, but, <laughs> but teamwork. So Jason said that and about being a preacher, and he loved preaching. And he felt that conviction at about 10 or 12 years old. And then he rocked around. He graduated about 18 years old. And, and right at that time, he started getting up at like 4.30 in the morning and going to meeting the working men of our church at the coffee house, you know, drinking that cup of joe with them. He was becoming, he was doing the passage of manhood, I guess. You know, he, and I wasn't there at 4.30 in the morning. Believe me, I didn't go there. If I was going to get up for that, it had to be most, either either. Usually prayer, but other than that, it's going to be fishing or hunting. It wasn't going to be good in no coffee shop to drink coffee at four thirty in the morning. That's my prime sleeping time. <laughs> for pastor, it stays up late all the time. So Jason, though he's up, boy, he's, you know, he did that for a couple of years. Then he got to going out and just working. And and since he worked for me also, and and he was young, stayed at home. He didn't have to make a, a wages, and most of the time he worked free just for the experience and just to get out there. And I encouraged it because I just wanted him to know what it was to work. I I really in my heart we never said to him at all, but in our heart we figured he would be a pastor someday. And a pastor needs to know something about work, <laughs> and a leader needs to know things about work. So, uh, but he 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 uh, did that. And then when he got about about 21 years old, he said nothing from the time he was about. 10 to 12 years old, until 21 years old, he said nothing else about preaching. Nothing. Zero. To me, or, it, or that it got back to me from anybody else. But at 21, I said, now, Jason, we was getting him a pickup truck driving down the road, and I said, Jason, uh, you're 21. Coming up on the next week or two, you're going to turn 21. You kind of need to know which direction. You want to go back to college. You want to go back to school of some sort. You want to... Um, you know what? You need to start making up your mind which direction you want to go with your life. And um, I can't really remember if it was in that truck or but it was soon thereafter. He said, "I'm definitely called to preach. I'm, I'm going to be a preacher." So we started training that way. And of course, I we we got him, I got him all. He did not go away to Bible college, but I got him all kinds. I mean, I hooked him up. And I, I, it was for me, but everything I was listening to on leadership, everything I was listening to on organization, everything I was listening to on, on back then was tapes, but, uh, every, every, all the big Zig Ziglers and all the John Maxwells and all the everything that was coming out from Dale Carnegie and everything I could get, I was, I was listening and some things I'd already listened to, I was re-listening to with him. Even on vacation, we were in Ireland on vacation, and him and I sat every day for three or four hours listening to tapes. We only had one tape player, so we had to have two earphones with, with a Y in it so we could both hear it. And uh, But we, we listened. I mean, we just poured, 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 poured. And, and Jason was, after he'd been 21 or so, uh, after that a while, I said, I'd like for you to be our youth pastor. At, at the time, I probably said youth leader. And so he did. But here's the first thing he did. He said, Dad, I want a team. Because we've been listening to all these tapes, you know, about teamwork and organization. He said, I want a team. I said, what do you mean? He said, I want 
a team, and I'm going to call it the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> you know, creativity there. And so I, I said, okay, what does that mean? I, he said, I, I want, I want, counting me, I said, I want seven. I want a team. I don't want just, you know, uh, me. He said, I want a, I want a team of seven. So uh, total. And I said, just, you know, pass them by me. And, of course, as every leader should, we shouldn't be, uh, you know, we should, I don't, whatever your pastor teaches as far as detail, but anything that we do, we, sh- we should, there again, that, that's that honesty part. We should, we should be open with our pastor about all things, never, never things otherwise. And so teamwork between us and the church, to, to work as a team, not as, a, not as being a lord over or being a boss over, but as a team. And really, in a sense, a servant to that team to help them as a, all of us together as a team to accomplish. We know this in, in the Sunday school department. We know this in a lot of different departments of the church. Jason said, I want seven of us all together. I said, okay, pick them out and let's talk about it. So we did, and we filtered through a few, and he came up with seven that he worked with. And I'm going to talk more about that a little later. But he wanted, he wanted to uh, form a team. Uh, and so it became teamwork. It wasn't one person, but it was seven people on the same page, heading in the same direction, pulling. I don't know if you ever tried to push a car, but it sure helps a lot when you have a teamwork going on. Uh, between the leader and the church, the, the, the dynamic is to inspire. The next would be to say inspire. Since we can't force them, since we don't have any, uh, since we're not going to use a shotgun, since we're not going to uh, be some kind of a, a, a slave master, we really have to inspire. If, if we're a leader and we say, we come to the pastor and we say, I can't get anybody to do anything. Nobody won't, nobody won't show up. Nobody will do anything. And look, all of us, even pastor feels that way sometimes. When he looks out of the congregation and says, where are they? <laughs> well, it works down right down to the team, don't it? When it comes down to your department or whatever you're trying to work with, it doesn't matter if it's a baby shower or if it's a, if it's organizing the platform or if it's ushering or or Sunday school and now they're the areas. No matter what it is, it's like where is everybody? You know, and there's always going to be those times when we get a little frustrated and we get a, we get somewhat even discouraged because you know because. Follow through is important, and I, I might have been your pastor. I think that mentioned that earlier. Someone did uh, in this session today that that uh, one thing is getting getting going is one thing, but following through and carrying it on the long term that's really where it counts. And so that requires inspiring people. And so since we can't make them, and since we really we could try to, you know what? Interestingly, guilt trips don't work like they used to. And when you study when you study humanity. Really, back in the boomers, the uh, and, and the what they call the greatest generation that came out of World War II, and then the boomers, guilt worked. You can make people feel guilty enough, but they say these days, guilt don't work. You can't make people feel guilty enough to do stuff. They might do it one time, but not to follow through with it. But so we, so what's the alternative? Inspire. How can I inspire? Every possible way possible. First of all, for us to keep ourselves up and approach people with a good inspirational attitude. But the other thing is to, is to seek out material. Um, Jason and I one time started a group called the Barnabas Group. And because Barnabas kind of took Paul on his wing, you know, and kind of tutored him along and helped bring him along in the ministry. So we called it the Barnabas Group and we, we started trying to 
and what we did, we, we got CDs or, or DVDs of lectures and speeches or anything we would find. More recently, you can just give them the link on the Internet and say, go watch this. But, and they do that now. But back then, we'd get, we, whether it was tapes or CDs or DVDs, and we'd have put, or a book, put it in their hand. Say, well, that costs something. But look at the benefits. Look at, the, look at what the results are when you inspire people. We can't make them. We can't guilt trip them into it. So we have no choice but to inspire them into it. And, and so that is what is one of the dynamics between the leader and the church. And the last one is to, comes with that, what I said about inspire is to train and develop. Um, train slash develop is what I have put here. And that has to do with finding resources. Think about it is a leader must stay ahead or by very definition he's not leading. <laughs> And we do have to feed ourselves good stuff to help us stay ahead. We don't have to be a Dale Carnegie or we don't have to have Zig Ziglar as our role model or whatever. Uh, naturally, uh, anything we do that we receive in the way of materials, uh, if we're going to give it to the church, of course, that is definitely something that we need to, unless we already know for certain, we've been working with with the board and sister board long enough, we need to, of course, clarify with the pastor. But to give people material to... Uh, within our own sphere of leadership, have our times of inspiration and give them materials to develop and train. Really, in the long run, if people don't become self-motivated in the sense of, at least in the sense of you've given them something in their hand or even sitting as a group and watching. Uh, throughout our church, we, we've done a lot of things. And, of course, uh, it's not necessarily all the best stuff. You've, many people have done things much better. But I only know what we've done, so that's what, of course, I'll share with you. But so many times we have, like in the Barnabas group, Jason took ages that were younger, a group, and then I took an age that I think he took from about 20 to 35, and I took 36 to about 50. And we, we, brought, it, we brought people together that we knew were hungry and thirsting and wanted to grow and to develop, and we began to just have these uh, meetings with what we called our Barnabas groups. And we give them things to uh, train and develop uh, in the departments. And then, then they pass it on through. And um, so between the leader and the church, find things for them. Many times they don't know uh, where to find it. Many times they maybe don't. Since, you know, when you're the one responsible, you do make more of an effort. And so since that's the case, we need to find things that we can to inspire and develop the church. Lastly, uh, our dynamics between the leader and the world. The leader and the world. First of all, as Jesus felt, we should also have compassion. Our dynamic between us and the world is not one of judgment. It is not, it is not condemnation. It is one of compassion. Those that are in the world, so many of them are lost and blind, and many don't even know it. Compassion is a must between the leader and the world to realize that without God and without all that we have, um, uh, they're going to go to an eternal hell. And the reason we're having this meeting today is not to, like, I mean... To build up a, a like a what like a, a pyramid work in his church or some kind of a 
you know, downline scheme like so many of these uh, in some of you know in the world where people no, it's it's because there's eternity ahead of us. That's really the reason we we talk about our dynamics between the leader and God, the dynamic between the leader and the pastor, dynamics between the leader and the church. But it all boils down to souls. That's what it's all about. It's not about whether we can drive a Lincoln or not. Uh, That's just a blessing or whatever. That has nothing to do with it. I'll, I'll drive a junk car if God decides that. I'll walk a while if I have to. But it's that compassion for the lost. Is, is, is the most important thing because they are going to be in eternity forever somewhere. And it's not just like, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they drink and they're poor family or, or they, they're on drugs, they're poor parents. Uh, no, there's an eternity waiting for them out there. It's not just about being a good citizen, but it's about ultimately seeing people saved. And the leader, whatever we're doing, from from the parking lot, the front door, to the Sunday school room, uh, to the baby showers, to the birthday parties, to the household showers, to the youth department. Everything that we do, it's all about eternal souls. That's really what it's all about. Let's take a minute. and Lord Jesus, help us to touch souls. Help us, Lord, to have that vision of the lost being saved. Lord Jesus, help us, I pray, in the name of Jesus, for your glory. Help us to have that compassion, that vision, that burden to reach the lost. Help us to stay inspired, but help us, Lord, to have that burden for the lost. To reach those souls. That's really what it's all about. It's not about making ourselves look good. You didn't look so good on the cross, Lord Jesus. But your heart was reaching for souls to be saved. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Compassion. Realizing there's an eternity out there waiting for every soul. How quickly... Quickly, my wife and I came up on that automobile wreck yesterday. I mean, it had just happened. There was like two or three cars got there just ahead of us. And and us not being familiar with the area, but we saw there were companies, like business trucks that were there. With They had the signs on the side, and they were out. And you could tell they were people that were competent. One lady ran by. It looked like she still had a nurse's jacket on, ran by. And so we just sat there and, and looked, and oh, my first, when I saw the person on the grass laying face down, I thought, God, have mercy. I don't know anything about that person, but where are they, where are they headed? Where? I didn't even know for sure if they were living or not, but I just said, Lord, and my wife and I started praying. And, and, and finally when they cleaned the road off enough, a few of the guys got up there and then they ended up having a few people going by on the grass. There's no emergency vehicles, no law enforcement there yet. I mean, they were still just steam and stuff coming out of both, front of the both cars and just vehicles and just, oh. But I was thinking about this soul, this, these families and somebody is affected today. Somebody's sitting around in solemn silence today. And somewhere in eternity, somebody's been weighed by, in the balance and, and there's, I understand there was a fatality and there's at least one that we will not reach now if they weren't reached already. 
and and I just pray they were ready. But we, we it's that compassion is what really drives the whole thing. Is souls being saved? It's not about having a good looking youth department. Y'all have some of the best music here. It's incredible. My wife mentions all the so many things, but you you've taken whatever you've got and you've organized it and polished it. And you've done so well with it. But it's not just about having a beautiful orchestra or having a beautiful church building. You have all that, but it's all that is about let's get souls in here. Let's let's reach the lost and see them be saved. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. Sure, the Sunday school department is not about just getting it done and letting the kids color and let them get them on out of here. It's about, Lord, these children are coming up. They're going to make a decision. They're going to be saved or lost. And many of them have parents that need to be saved. Lord, uh, this Sunday school is not just a babysitting job. It's a soul winning job. And, and at the front door with that smile and that first impression and in the parking lot across the way, hey, welcome to Hatchman Apostolic Church. It's about souls and reaching people. And all the way from there to the altar and from the altar to the baptismal and from there to the baptism of the Holy Ghost and living a godly life before the Lord. It's all about souls. Everything we do, it's not about being able to have, have bragging rights about our, this department or that department, but it's about everything is focused on souls. If it, if it requires me to give a complete self-sacrifice, Jesus hung on a cross, not because he had sin, but it was for our sins he took upon him. And all that we do is all really about souls. It all boils down to that. We reach out to God, but not just for our soul to be saved. If we're if we're born again, if we're saved, then we're, we've got that. But we've got to stay in a good state with God. But we, we have to reach and realize we're reaching for God with one hand, but we're reaching for souls with the other hand. Amen. And and um, listen, I, I, if, if my pastor made a decision that I didn't agree with, even if it was a, 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 a bad decision, I'm not talking about sin or false doctrine, but if it was just a not, not a good sound decision, what's more important? Me make, me causing a big ruckus? I mean, we'll get over it. In 41 years, you think I haven't made a bad decision in Bellevue? Of course. But thank God the good saints just supported me anyway, and we got over it, and it wasn't one of those things that destroyed our church. It was just maybe I... Bought a refrigerator that wasn't a good brand. Or maybe I made a decision to put carpet out that wasn't a good quality. Or You know, there's a lot of decisions. Maybe I decided to change the church service from here to there. And but So what? We can change it back. Amen. 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 It could be a, somebody I pointed over something and everybody rolls her eyes and says, Oh boy, he don't know what he's doing. Maybe I didn't. Understand this. I started pastoring when I was 18, a month before I turned 19. This same church that I'm at now, that I'm bishop of now, my son pastors. I was 18 years old. Can you imagine people rolling their eyes a bunch of times? Imagine being pastor by, by an 18, 19, 20-year-old. By the time I was 20 years old, we was in our first big building program. To me, it was big. We tripled the size of our building. And by the time I was in my 20s, we was building another new sanctuary. By the time I was in my 30s, we was building the one we're in now. And since then, we've added gymnasium, family life center, and more school buildings and things of that nature. But, but we built that sanctuary we're in now. That seats exactly 701 people. Now that we have theater seats, we know exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was just in, I was 
I became youth president. You can't be youth president. I was 34, 36, you're too old after that. And I was youth president when I, when I built that building. 30, in my mid-30s. Can you imagine how many people rolled their eyes whenever my creative wife said, this is the color carpet we're going to use. Because she, she decorated, I, obviously, I'm pretty sure I see Sister Boyd everywhere around here in this decoration. And I'm, <laughs> but really, you know, I don't, I don't know how y'all do it, but, uh, you know, you might have seen something in road drives. Boy, that's a mistake. But really, what we gotta realize is, is, you know, there again, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat them as a father. If you have some input, but when when it comes down to it, the way I was raised, when we got down to the bottom line, father's decision stood unless we convinced him respectfully otherwise. But 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 if, what is it all about? Is it really about just oh, I got a cow toe to my pastor? I've got a pastor's wife. I you know, I don't agree with it. No, it's really about souls. So we just kind of take a breath and bite our lip if we have to, and just cooperate and reach for souls. Hallelujah. And I, I doubt you've had to bite your lip very many times or you had to roll your eyes very many times at this leadership you have here, but everybody has an opinion. And so we all, each one of us at least once, have thought, at least thought, said, it could be better than that. Or i, I got to have a better idea than that. And maybe your idea was used and maybe it wasn't. But that's, see, that's what we come back to. I can't allow this to, to bring an upset in the church. I can't allow my attitude to come in here and weigh down on our pastor. And, and then, of course, I'll finish this up uh, in the last little bit. Secondly, after compassion is to be courteous. Our dynamic between us and the world is to be courteous. At the grocery store, at the restaurants, a decent tip, a kindness, patience if the waitress gets it wrong, um, passing people in the neighborhood. And I, I know that many of you are good country people like I'm used to, but uh, even sometimes we get our minds set on something. We get, uh, you know, kind of zoned out or whatever. But, but we realize that we're not just the average person. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ. And in doing, being that, we're representative of this pastor in this church. And so wherever we go, we need to be as thoughtful as we can to be courteous. Coming home from work, I'm tired. I can't wait to get home, get a shower, sit down, eat a meal, take a nap, or go to bed, or whatever we're going to do next. And, 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 but to be courteous is so important. And to, in the world, to be helpful. Our dynamics between us and the world is to be helpful. And what we've tried to do, because as you know, there's hundreds of ways to be helpful. To I'm talking about non-church people. Now, the Bible said, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Especially. And, I, and really, there's some people go way overboard. They, they, they'll help anybody as long as they're poor. But if they're, even if they're in the church, they won't do anything nice for them because they got some money. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible didn't say, especially those who don't have any money. The Bible said, especially those of the household of faith. We ought to help each other if we're in the household of faith above all. Amen. But, but it does first start out by saying, do good to all men. 
And, of course, when hurricanes come through, our youth department gets out there, and we, we go to the senior people in our communities, never been to church. One of them is the pastor of the First Baptist Church. He and his wife, actually, the pastor Meredith at that point because they were elderly, and they, his son had taken the, even the, the Baptist Church there, and, and, and we certainly hoped and prayed that they received everything they needed from God, and we certainly tried to be a light and a witness, and we had a good relationship with them in our little town. But... Um, but we went and picked up the limbs and everything we could out of their yard and all the other neighbors up and down all the blocks around our road and everywhere we could find somebody. We went there and said, can we help you? And our young people just got out there and looked like, oh, it was awesome to drive by and look at it. <laughs> so me being the, the pastor at that time and uh, almost close to the time when I became bishop of the church, but just to watch those young people get out there and just drag those limbs out to the edge of the road. In our case, we have somebody come by from the county and pick it up or, or to pull something off of the house or even a rake a yard, be helpful, help somebody with a car that's broke down. Uh, I, I, there's times that we can win a soul in a greater, uh, we could be more effective at winning a soul helping somebody get the car started than we would if we gave them a Bible study. Now, ultimately, they got to have the Bible study. But sometimes that door won't open until we help them get the car started. <laughs> and, and I'm talking to such good people, I feel like I might be singing to the choir. But if I can just remind us and refresh us and just inspire us to be helpful out there in this world. It's not just about, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I, you know, you know, somebody, even if it's a drunk guy that fell down and can't help himself. It, whoa, wow. You just never know what kind of impression we're making out there in this world. And, of course, then to be, actually be a witness, not only by these compassion and being courteous and helpful, but be a witness with our words and our, our language and, and, and the way we present ourselves to the world. You do know that wherever we go in this world, we are representing God, we're representing our pastor, and we're representing our church. So wherever we go in this world, outside the church, we ought to, we ought to live the same kind of Christian holiness life outside the church as we do in front of the pastor. <laughs> Let's praise God on that one, would you? And um, we have to kind of think about it. You know, if, if the pastor was standing right here right now, would I be saying this? Would I be acting this way? Would I be dressing this way? Would I be uh, saying these words? Would I be telling this joke or whatever it may be? Would I be treating these people this way if my pastor or his wife was standing right beside me? And, of course, above all, God is with watching over all things. And But the bottom line, however, is still to be a witness to win souls. And, of course, the last, if you want to put it in, is simply to win that soul. It's ultimately to win souls. So the dynamics of the apostolic leader toward God, toward his pastor, for the church, and for the world. Well, God bless you, all of you being here. Um, wow, that was powerful, Edward. I love that man. <laughs> lordy, lordy. She says that Um. Do you want this mic? <laughs> All right, there's a couple. <laughs> I know you will. There, there's a couple of things that I want to say about uh, him talking about teamwork and just, you know, everything that he's saying. If, uh, if you get a chance that you get to work for God, I mean, if you just, Get a chance to get to work for God. 
I mean, our first 25 years, we didn't pay nobody in that church to do anything. First of all, we didn't have no money to pay nobody. But second of all, it was the work of God. We didn't pay people to mow lawns or clean bathrooms or, you know, when, when Jason, the pastor now, when he started working for the church after he graduated, he got $50 a week and you, and you better be thankful. I mean, I'm like, you better be thankful. We're jerking that $50 back. I mean, he was barely living. He was like, you know, can I do some extra work? I need a little more money. Just be happy with that $50, Jason. You're working for God. Be happy. And But if you get to work for God, let me tell you, your pastor and his wife, they put so much trust in you. They believe that you are going to do a good job. They believe that you love what you are doing. They believe that you're the best person for it. And if you get a chance to work for God, do do you know how blessed I feel? I came up in a family with this great woman of God. My mother was such a great saint. And I was such a little demon devil for the first years of my life and never wanted God, didn't want him at all. I had already made the decision, okay, I do not want to be saved. I mean, can you imagine somebody making that decision? But I was like, you know, 11 years old. No, I do not want to be saved, thank you. Uh, How stupid are we? And But when the Holy Ghost hit me and when I came to the Lord and, oh, my eyes were open and I saw everything different. How privileged. I got to travel, evangelize for almost five years before I married my husband. Then I married this preacher and I have got to work. What a joy. What a, is there a greater job? Oh my Lord. I don't know how many of you were there and I'm sure your pastor and his wife have at least mentioned this, but Anthony Mangan on on the last night of camp preached about eternal and temporary. Oh, and my job is eternal. If you're working for God, it's eternal. It's like Brother Varnum was talking about these souls. Hey, we're now we're not making people's cars look better. Now, you know, he talked about how to get into it. Maybe you do need to clean somebody's car up or clean their yard up. But it, the bottom line for all of this is it's eternal and it's souls and we're after those souls our little old lives my lord i'm looking around i'm 60 i cannot believe it i am 62 i think still in my mind i'm 27 i don't do things quite like i did at 27 but in my mind still where does the time go but whatever little bit of time the Lord has let me live, I have got to, I got the chance to work for God. I got the chance to be faithful to church and to show people how to do it. This is how you do it. So what a privilege. What a privilege. What a trust they have put into you. Now, the work of God feels great. It feels great. And it should be fun. It should be, it should be, oh, you know, you should be getting your clothes on. Oh, man, I don't want to be late. I got to get there. Whoa, whoopee. I mean, come on, folks. We don't go to shows. We don't go to the jute joints. I know that's a real old name. Uh, 
We don't disco. That's pretty old too. Um, we don't get to drink that kind of wine my husband was talking about when he was talking about that fermented. And I said, you know, I think every once in a while we might need a glass of that stuff. I don't know. Come on, people. Church ought to be fun. Oh. Oh, that is why I honestly, I love church because my mother had so much fun in church. And then I got around people that had fun in church. If you can't, if you're not having fun in church, change where you're sitting. If you're sitting with all the deadheads and all the down, find somebody exciting to sit by. And let me tell you, when that preacher is preaching, he is preaching right to me. Even even if he's saying you're a dirty dog and you need to get to the altar, I'm like, yes, I'm a dirty dog. Get me to the altar. I'm with you, brother. I mean, church ought to be fun. And I want to say this about leadership. You know, we didn't. Come on. When we were, we got married. Are you kidding? When we got married, they didn't give us books on, you know, love and respect. They're like, if you don't listen to your husband, you're going to go straight to hell. There was no counseling. You just do what we say and that's how you do it. So, really, I mean, come on, it was a different world. Leadership books, you know, he's talking about that. Well, this is stuff that he had to get on his own. You know, for many years, we were not in, in, uh, UPC. Uh, and, and really, it has been a blessing for us to be in UPC. Although I am still independent. My husband is UPC. <laughs> Truthfully, that is just a joke, okay? That is a joke. And I use that usually with Brother Williams, just make him feel better. But but we didn't know nothing about leadership, and really we didn't have churches that talked about that. We weren't around people that talked about leadership. But, you know, God was just so good to us. We were these kids that he, he said God wanted him in Bellevue. I didn't know if he wanted me there or not, but he said God wanted us in Bellevue. So we're just these two kids. And let me tell you, you know who I got? And really, I'm looking around here, and I'm so thankful for you elderly people. I'm telling you, you cannot know how thankful I am for you. But I'm looking around, and I see some young people here. Thank God that you're here. But never underestimate your kids and your grandkids. Never underestimate them. They are going to be involved head over heels in something. Get them involved in church. Oh, oh, come on. All of us sitting here. If we're going to be honest, when we were 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, that is when we were the strongest about everything. We believed it. We're going to do it. I mean, you need that kind of zeal and enthusiasm. And those young people and actually those kids can bring it. God help us not to be dumber than Disney. Look who Disney's going after. They're going off after eight, seven. Oh man, they are, they are making our kids be whatever. And we ought to understand, so what if your child is only, I mean, here I am at 11 making a decision. Of course, you know, I'm, you, we all know you're dumb at that age, but I'm making a decision. Nah, I don't want to go to heaven. I definitely don't want to go to church. And so, 
you know, at that time the Beatles were really good. And, uh, you know, there was bands I liked and I thought, whatever they're doing, that's what I'm doing at 11 years old. And I felt strongly about it. And I'm going to tell you, Brother Donnie Curry, I don't, do any of you come up to camp meeting? Does anybody know Donnie Curry? You want to know how old he was when he started working for God? And I'm going to tell you right now, you know what, you know what Donnie Curry is to the Bellevue Church? He is real close to Sister Farnham. <laughs> you know why? Because when he was 14, he did, his mom and dad weren't in church. He didn't have a brother and sister in church. He did have a grandparent. Thank God for these grandparents. Uh, and he started living with her. He did everything with me. He decorated with me. He came out of Oxford, people. He didn't know nothing about decorating. He never thought about a color. He cooked with me. He pulled weeds with me. Him and Kim Wynn. I used the youth group for slave labor. (laughs) And we had fun. While we were out there working, I was yelling. and, And I made sure we had food coming. Oh, never let anybody leave when they're in the middle of cleaning up the church. You bring the food to the church, get some people to clean that up after you leave, and then get your job done. But I'm going to tell you, use these young people. Don't underestimate what, 11, 12. My granddaughter right now is 16, and and I've been strong about this. You know, since I didn't grow up in no preacher's home, I knew, you know, when, when I got the Holy Ghost, I was like, whoa, man, I'm going to work for God until I die. And uh, I was just so excited about it. And so when my kids came up, I was just like, no, the only reason I even birthed you is to work for God. So whatever else you want to do, oh, you want to become a doctor or a lawyer? Okay, you can do that on your own time. Everything else is God's. So decide right now. Oh, Jason. Oh, oh. You would have seen him, six years old. I don't want to sing, Mom. I will give you a whipping. Now, I know some people right here as probably saying, oh, my God, you actually whipped him. Uh, oh, I actually did whip him. And, um, but I never actually whipped him to sing. But he knew I would because he had experienced other things before. And he's crying his little heart out. You know, he doesn't want to sing. And I was like, you are going to sing. I had you to work for God, and you're not, I don't care if you're six years old, you're getting on that platform, you're singing. And I, I, I just told my kids, you know, this is how it's going to be. And I met other pastors that said, oh, well, we didn't want to push our kids out. Now, what I didn't want to do is call Jason to preach. Oh, that's a calling that comes from God. And it makes me so aggravated when we act like our pastor's children have to be preachers. No, they have to work for God. They don't have to preach. What is, what does you, what do you think that makes me think about my worth and all the worth that we have in our church? We're not all preachers. I'm not a preacher. I don't want to be a preacher. I want to go to church and have fun and dance and shout and, and just have a good time. But no, you, you have got worth whether you're a preacher or not. And when Jay, when Jason was born, I told him from the very day, do not talk to him about being a preacher. If God wants him to be, and I, I mean, I had this thing because I had seen pastors that just pushed their kids. Now, 
Push them to work in Sunday school. Push them. Do you know how exciting it is for a young kid that that is, you know, disciplined and, and polite and everything, 11 years old, out in your lobby shaking hands with people coming in? Oh, how thrilling that is. They can do something for God to make people feel better. So get your children involved. Get your young people involved. Don't give them excuses. I am so afraid that we are, we're always going like, oh, well, um, I see my time's up. Uh, we're always saying things like, you know, they're just young. Really? Really? We had just young people brought on a revolution in the 70s that changed everybody's thinking. And they were kids that were doing that. You know, now you hear them later on in life saying, wow, we didn't know what we were doing. Let me tell you, your young people feel strongly about something. Let it be the work of God. Have fun with them. The other thing I want to say is do a lot of dinners. If you yourself can't work, have people come into your house. Have them meet here. Let everybody bring something. They need fellowship. Your young people need fellowship. You need fellowship. Any new people need fellowship. Fellowship outranks everything besides just the Holy Ghost knock knock you down power. That's the only thing that is better than fellowship. If you are winning people to the Lord and they're coming and praying through and they're not staying, they need your fellowship. Have coffee, have donuts. We can't drink, but we can eat. Hallelujah. Wow. How would you like to follow that? <laughs> Amen. Here's what here's what we're going to do. We're going to give uh, we're going to give some of our workers here just a few minutes to get everything together. And what they have put together for us this afternoon is a potato bar, a baked potato bar. And um, they'll give you instructions on exactly how we're going to do the mechanical aspects of that. Hang around, stay with us. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a bite to eat. We're not going to belabor that because the most important thing is what we're doing. But we want to make that a part of, of uh, want to make the meal a part of what we're doing as well. And uh, and then in our in our second session, I've just left that up to Brother and Sister Varnum, whatever they want to do. I just have one request, and uh, that would be if Sister Varnum would just not in the second session be so vague. I would like her to just open up, tell us what's on your mind. <clears throat> I feel like you're holding back just a little bit, so we want you to just. I'm hoping the baked potato, the sour cream, butter, something, something to kind of loosen her up a little bit. But we're so honored that they're here. Aren't you, aren't you having a good time? Amen. And so while, while they're preparing that, they're getting that ready, they'll open the door for us in just a moment. I want to welcome Brother and Sister Johns. We're just so honored that they're here from Perry. Thank you for being here today. We're also happy to have Sister Melissa Brumfield from Palm Coast. Thank you for being here with us. Amen. Our Brother Varnum and I have talked about this so many, many times through the last several years. But um, our lives merged early, early on. Um, I was just a, a young uh, kid, actually. And uh, the, Brother Varnum and Brother Bass were young single evangelists and priests for my grandfather. And 
and um, then life and time and circumstances just kind of took our paths and different took our lives down different paths and uh, we were all in church and serving God but about 20 years ago the Lord just saw fit there was never any falling out I don't want to leave any impression at all but just going in two different directions but about 20 years or so ago um, the Lord just brought our lives back together and I'm I've been so honored and thankful for that and we certainly appreciate their friendship because it's not just times like this but um, we we have the chance to work together uh, in with our organization and organizational work and it just so happens that we didn't plan this we have assigned seats but we sit beside each other in our district board meetings and we have a lot of fun <laughs> when it gets boring we we just liven up our corner and I think a my feeling of it is, is everybody wants to sit in the two seats that we're in because we keep it going. We keep something going all the time anyway. But um, Brother uh, brother L.P. Upton used to say this. Brother um, Varnum said something along this line a, while, a moment ago. Brother L.P. Upton used to say this. He said, you should never pray to be seen, but you ought to be seen praying. And uh, so I, I thought about that, as he said a moment ago, about worship. We should never worship just to be seen. But certainly as leaders, as leaders, everybody ought to worship. If you got the Holy Ghost, <laughs> there ought to be something inside of us that desires to worship. But certainly as leaders, and uh, I appreciate that so very much.